following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. There was a young man that went in and he was uh, going through a job interview. You remember your last job interview? Those are tough sometimes. And he's going into the interview and he's doing fairly well. The guy on the other side of the desk is uh, asking him some good questions, but he feels like he's nailing it. He's doing a good job until they get to a question. And the guy who's conducting the interview looks at the young man and he says, what do you think your negative trait is, your most negative trait about who you are is? And the young man sits back in his chair and he thinks about it for a second. He says, well, my, my most negative trait is that I'm honest. The guy looks at him and he says, honest? Honesty? Really? Honesty is a good trait. Why? Uh, would you say that honesty is, your, is the most negative trait about you as an individual? And he says, he says because I don't care what you think. <laughs> I wondered if he got the job. As Christians uh, in our world, do we care what other people think? I want you to think about that just for a second. Do we care what other people think? Do we care what other people think about us? And more importantly, should we care what other people think? The Bible says that we care what God thinks, but what about to our fellow human beings? How should we treat them? How should we act towards them? Well, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, if you look in your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, he says, bond servants. That's an interesting word, and it depends on what translation that you have, depends on the word that you have uh, in there or in the text. And he says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, in the ESV is what I read out of. He says, slaves. So you may have the word bondservant in the text. You may have the word servant in the text, or you may have slave in the text. Now I would circle that word because it's interesting. The word slave had a negative connotation. If you were in the church of Ephesus, which is what Paul is writing to, he is writing to the church gathered at Ephesus. That's why it's called the letter to the Ephesians. He says to the Ephesians, he uses the word slave, and they would have had a negative connotation to the word slave. Let me show you why. They would have viewed slavery negatively because oftentimes slaves were treated horribly. They were treated kind of like cattle. As a matter of fact, the Roman civilization said the only difference between cattle and human beings is that humans can talk. So when they looked at cattle and they looked at other people who were slaves, they said that humans are just a little bit above them because they have the ability to speak. We learned in the Old Testament that slavery happened from people going into a specific region and essentially taking over that region. So if you see things like the Babylonian era or the Assyrian era, we realize that people were taken captive and they were forced to work as slaves. We know what that looks like in the connotations and context of our world because we have things like POWs, for example, World War I, World War II. We go into Vietnam and we realize that people were taken hostage. They were taken as slaves. 
and they were treated unfairly. We realize a lot of civilizations have been built on the backs of slaves. So people who are reading this letter, they have a negative connotation of that word. Some of them understand through the generations that happened before that, that their family members were part of those people who were taken captive or imprisoned. Some people who were slaves were slaves because they needed to pay back a debt. And so, for example, if you sinned against your neighbor, let's say, for example, you went over to your neighbor's house and you stole their lawnmower. I wouldn't know anything about this. And you take it to your house and you used it to cut your yard and you didn't return it and you broke it. You would have to pay back a debt. And so you were a slave to that person and they could have you work until you paid back your debt. Sometimes people were born into slavery And so for Paul's readers, as they're reading this, they see the passage, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5, slaves, negative connotation. But then there would have been the group in the congregation that would have said, hold on a second, we're no longer slaves like that. We have slavery today, they would have said. They would have said, we have people who are essentially working for people who are wealthy. They are employees of wealthy people. And so they're treated nice. They would have said, wait, hold on a second. We have people who employ other people so much so that there were people who had pierced their ear to show that they wanted to be a slave to that person forever because they were treated so kindly. Masters would bring slaves into their home and they would treat them like their own. So much so that the slaves said, we want to be with you forever. You take good care of me and my family. Now, if Paul were standing here, he would say, you don't have slavery, negative connotation, in the society that you exist in. He would say, though, your workplace and the place where you populate to get a check is kind of like slavery. And the connotations that Paul would have for us today is he would say to us very clearly that these are for you, those who are employed, if you have a job. If you are employed, he would say, you are essentially a bondservant, a slave, somebody who is a servant, and you are called to do certain things in your workplace. And he would say, bond servants, there are three traits that make you a good employee, that make you somebody who is, who is looked at highly among your employer. And we're going to talk here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 through 8. And then those of you who employ, that's 5, 9. And we'll save that. But he says here, let me give you three traits of a godly employee. Slaves, servants, those of you who are employed, who collect a check. Obey your earthly masters. Now, some of you are looking at me going, Jordan, I don't know what you smoked before you got to church this morning, but uh, that is not my master. He is my boss. He is not my master. Okay, then underline the word master and put boss if that makes you feel better this morning, okay? The first trait, though, that Paul says here is that godly actions are important to the godly employee. If you have a job, your actions are important. It is the first trait that Paul says that we have to have right in order to understand what it means to be a good worker. Now, where do I get this from? Well, Paul says here, uh, he uses the word obey. If you want to circle that in your text, circle the word obey. It means hearken to command. This means that we who have been employed are to be obedient in all things at all times to those who employ us. If we have a job, we are supposed to, 
it, we are supposed to act in such a way that would be out of respect, but also in excellence. So the two traits that Paul rises to the surface for godly actions are respect and excellence. The only time you are called by God to do the exact opposite of what your employer says is if he calls you to be immoral, if he calls you or she calls you to be idolatrous, and if they call you to do anything outside of the context of Scripture. Paul would say, we as Christians are called to do everything with excellence out of respect to those who have employed us because it is our opportunity to be excellent before them and also treat them with respect unless they call us to do something outside of the context of what the Bible says. I'm reminded of the book of Daniel, specifically chapter 2. For those of you that know the story of Daniel, you'll be reminded of this, but Daniel works for the government. Bless his heart, right? Nobody in their right mind would work for the government. We have some government employees here, and they are shaking their head. Absolutely. Okay? <clears throat> so Daniel works for the government. He is underneath the king. King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar is not a good king. As a matter of fact, he's not a nice king, and he does things that are completely foreign. King Nebuchadnezzar puts high demands on the people who are underneath his authority, kind of like the government that we have today. So, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and he calls in his employers, and he says to them, I had a dream, and I want you to tell me what the dream was and what the dream means. And the guys come up to him and they say, um, Nebuchadnezzar, I don't know if you know this or not, but that's impossible. If you tell us the dream, we will tell you what it means. In other words, we will make something up that seems good and seems fitting to you, and, and we'll all be good. Nebuchadnezzar gets mad because he's a government employee, and he says, off with their heads, which is also a Disney movie. And I got really loud there for a second, <laughs> so that was weird. But uh, so Nebuchadnezzar says, uh, I will kill you and your families as well as everybody else who works for the government because you cannot tell me my dream and because you do not have any respect for me. Well, this kind of uh, goes throughout all the government employees and all of a sudden Daniel catches wind of it. Daniel goes into his home and he prays to the living God. And he says, God who made the heavens and the earth, if there's any way that you could reveal this dream to me, I would love to save my own life and my family's life, but also the family members of secular people. And God reveals to him the dream. Daniel goes into Nebuchadnezzar. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, before you go crazy and kill everybody in the community, he says, I will tell you your dream. Nebuchadnezzar says, go on. He tells him his dream. He tells him probably one of the hardest dreams that has ever been revealed to anyone in the Bible. He tells Nebuchadnezzar that his kingdom is going to be great and powerful, but that he will be destroyed. He breaks hard news to his boss. And he tells him it has come from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the creator of the universe. And he says, through God's power, I revealed this to you. Now, the reason we tell you Daniel chapter 2 is because Daniel speaks to his boss in a way of respect, but also in a way of excellence. He carries out what it means to obey his earthly master with authority that has been given to him by God. Nebuchadnezzar will, in time, ask Daniel to do things that are immoral, 
to do things that are idolatrous and to do things that are outside of what God has commanded to do him. And Daniel will continue to look at the king in an attitude of respect and in excellence and tell him that he cannot forego the way that his God has communicated to him. He cannot disobey the things that the Lord has commanded. And God will protect him in that. Can we say the same thing? Those of us who are employed, can we say that we work out of respect for our master, our boss, with excellence in the job that has been entrusted to our care? Can we say that openly, honestly? If I were to go to your place of employment and look at your employer and say, does this employee right here, do they look like Jesus to you? When they come to work, are they a visible representation of the Most High God in the workplace? Do they treat you and other employees with respect? And do they do their work with excellence? Do you see Jesus in their life? Can you say that? Now, in the ESV, it says, obey your masters. So those of us who are employed, we obey our employer. But it's interesting, in the text, it says, according to the flesh. But it doesn't say it in the ESV. So before you go chucking out the ESV Bible and adopting something else, the King James Version says, according to the flesh. Why does it say according to the flesh? Because when I hear that news, I ask Jesus, Jesus, do you know my employer? And he says, yes, Jordan, I am your employer. Ouch. Okay, so um, Jesus, I know some other employers. I said, do you know that? Because that's kind of hard news to accept. And the reason that it says according to the flesh in your Bibles is because he says that this will only last for this lifetime. You will only be subject to another person for this lifetime. The ESV, English Standard Version of the Bible, essentially says no duh, and so they omit it. They say this is common knowledge, everybody should know it. But the King James Version, and I think it's in the NIV, says very specifically that this is according to the flesh. It only lasts in this life. So for those of you who have a hard boss, and you look at them and you say, but Jordan, I don't respect them. Do you respect the living God? And if you respect the living God, you will respect them. Who has put them in authority over you for a small season. It doesn't last forever. Some of you are sitting here going, praise the Lord. It doesn't last forever. It is only for this life. And so he says very clearly, number one, in your actions, obey your masters. Do so with respect and do it with excellence. Then he says, number two, with fear and trembling. Three marks of a godly employee, number one, are our actions, that we respect our employer because we respect the living God, and we do our work with excellence because God calls us to do everything with excellence. Number two is that not only our actions should be on point, but also our attitude should be on point. Help me, Lord, as I preach this. He says, with fear and trembling. You can circle the word fear in your Bible and you can circle the word trembling because they do not mean what you think they mean. The word fear there is the word phobos, which is where we get our term phobia, right? The English word phobia. Some of you have a phobia of snakes. I think they're kind of cool. Some of you have a phobia of the dark. Some of us have a phobia of the wind. We have a fear, a dread. We dread that that thing is really truly a reality. Some of us have a phobia of spiders. 
When one hits, you instantly jump onto a chair. Or mice, for example. Others have a phobia of mice. I've seen this in real life. You jump up on the chair. And, ah! It's funny how charismatic people come when spiders and mice come into the equations. So we have a phobia. Well, that's one word. But that's not Paul saying in the text. Paul is saying in the, in the text, the word phobos means a respect or reverence for one's husband going back to Ephesians chapter 5 at the end, where he says, you should love your wives as Christ loved the church, and wives, you should submit to your husbands in reverence, or we could insert that word fear. In other words, fearing out of reverence, ah, of God. Now, some of us sit there and we go, I, 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 whoa, off. Okay, let me take it another way into Christmas time. When the angels visited the shepherds, they had fear of the message that they said to them. It wasn't that they were afraid, Phobos dreading. It was they were in reverence that God chose to populate the area. Now that's half. The other half is trembling or tromos. And that word trembling is interesting because in the text, it means one who is anxious to meet the requirements that are entrusted to their care or to fulfill the earthly duties that are assigned to us. When I tremble, it means my hands are anxious to do the work that has been put in front of my path. Out of the reverence of God who has given me the ability to work. Well, that changes fear and trembling, doesn't it? My actions as a godly employee are to have reverence for God who has placed my employer over me with trembling hands. In other words, I am anxious to do what is required of me for that day. Out of reverence for God, I am anxious to fulfill the duties that are assigned to my care. Paul says that we should have godly actions and godly attitudes. Now, where do we see this? It is amazing to me that this type of fear and trembling is, exists in our everyday world, but we miss over it. Have you ever gone to a fast food restaurant, or restaurant in general, that employs people with special needs? I worked at a camp for four summers, mentally handicapped kids, loved every minute of it. There is so much joy that comes out of the mentally handicapped community. I mean, it's awesome to work with these kids because they don't know things that we know. And also, they've been guarded with some things. I had a friend for a long time. His name was John Whitaker. He's with the Lord now. We baptized him, actually, and he was so excited to get baptized, but he hated water, so it made things interesting. Um, <laughs> and so he, like, went from terror to excitement, like, uh, you know, back and forth. So we're like, John, you, do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? Yeah, yeah, I do. Okay, well, we baptize you. No, no, no. <laughs> okay, how do we do this? Thank God I didn't do it. My dad did it. Um, but what I see here is the fear and trembling is existence when I watch them work. I was at a fast food restaurant just the other day, and one who was disabled was employed, and they were over uh, the duties that were in the lobby. It was fascinating to watch. I walked up to him, and I said, I said, my name's Jordan, and, and they told me their name. And I said, uh, I said, what are your duties here? And they said, oh, 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 I... I get to wash the tables. I get to uh, mop the floor. Yeah? And I'm like, yeah. 
And I get to sometimes fill up people's drinks. Yeah, sometimes. And I watched him work, and I thought to myself, why are we not like this? Why, why are we not have the same joy? For us, it is have to. For them, it is get to. We can learn a great deal from the disabled community. Uh, Johnny Erickson, who has uh, lost all of her uh, movement in her, in her arms and her legs. Quadriplegic, yeah, is that the word? Um, she has written that every day she has to wake up and ask for somebody's help. She lives in daily dependence. And she penned, if only we as Christians could live that way. If only our attitudes could be like that to God. Our, our actions are important. Our attitudes are important too as well. Your work attitude, especially in your job, follow me here, is number one, it is a testimony to those who do not believe. Your workplace is an opportunity for you to testify to those people who do not know Jesus. If you work with respect and you work with excellence and your attitude is like Christ. You are a testimony to the people who do not know Jesus Christ because God has entrusted to your care the biggest mission field that you have at your disposal, which is the workplace. And you say, Jordan, you call me a missionary? Absolutely, 100%. Whether that's in the police department, whether that's collecting trash, whether that's being an electrician, whatever it is. Whether it's teaching, Whatever God has given you the ability to do with your hands is a mission field, is a testimony to those who are lost. But then he says also, it is encouragement to the believers. Now, for some reason, we as Christians don't get this because um, it doesn't happen a whole lot. As a matter of fact, the church will push back on this. Because what's going to happen is you're going to go to work tomorrow, and you're going to have this smile on your face. And you're going to say, Jordan said that I should have respect, and your boss is going to think that you're on something and I'm going to do my job with excellence, and, and you're going to have a good attitude, and you're going to be like Christ, and you're going to come in, and you're going to be singing, and you're going to be like, oh, praise God from whom all blessings flow, and you're going to sit down at your office or whatever it is you do, and your Christian friend is going to be sitting right next to you, and they're going to go, what are you doing? Stop it. And you go, what are you talking about? I love Jesus. I'm supposed to, you should have been at church the other day. Oh my goodness, Pastor Jordan, he preached the best message ever preached his whole entire life. One out of like 700. And, and man, he was so good. And they're going to say, you are making us what? Look bad. Christians hate it. It is a testimony to the lost, but it should spur on your brothers and sisters in Christ to work better too. And if they tell you that, shame on them. Because can you imagine what would happen when there's strength in numbers, people who are operating the same way? It's a testimony. Work is a testimony. When my attitude is right to the non-believer, it is an encouragement, should be an encouragement to the believer. And number three, it is a service to the king. God has given me the ability to work, and so I do it with service to the king. I do not look at my job and say, I hate it here. I say, God, thank you for putting me here change my attitude. Now, some of us want to know, how in the world do I change my attitude? Let me give you three simple, three simple ways to change your attitude. Number one, spend time in the Word before you go to work. 
can make a strong case for the morning, but some of you uh, get up in the morning and you, and you work um, first shift, some of you work second shift, some of you work third shift. Spend time in the Word before you go to work. Oftentimes it's in the Proverbs for me or the book of Psalms, uh, more I do my daily reading then too as well. Spend time in the Word before you go to work. Number two, spend time in prayer before you go to work. Those things that drive you crazy about work should be the things that you pray for. God, my boss, drives me absolutely insane. So I lay Tom right before you, and I pray that I would treat Tom the way that you treat me, that I would love him and that I would embrace him and, and, and that I would see my, my opportunity here to love him like Christ loves me. Or maybe it's the lady next to you. God, help me to love Karen this week. Change my perception. Help me see her like you see her. Spend time in the Word. Spend time in prayer. Let me give you a third thing. Sing. We just got back from Chicago. We were there at a concert. Um, we had an opportunity to go to a luncheon to hear a seminar from um, Keith Getty, which was outstanding. And he said, singing changes your heart. I agree, yeah? Wow. Sing what? Sing songs, spiritual songs. Sing praises to the Lord. Sing your doctrine. He was telling a story I thought it was so funny. He said, every night they have been going through a hymn with their kids. Yeah. And um, so right now they're on Holy, Holy, Holy. So with their kids, they're singing, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And their kids were singing the song. And they said, Jesus loves me, this I know. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how great you are, right? And there was an opportunity there, he said, to reprimand the, the little girl. And he says, no, we let, her, we let her go because her song was to the Lord and it was, it was good. The Bible says sing. You're commanded to sing 40 times. Um, the Bible says, uh, 40 times plus, the Bible says sing. So many instances where the Bible says sing a new song unto the Lord. Read your Bible, spend time in prayer, sing. That's too easy, Jordan. Yeah, well, try it. Okay, try it. Some people have texted me before, and they said, I was jamming out in my car before I got to church. <laughs> oh, love it. Okay, that's how we change our attitude. Three traits. Number one, <clears throat> obey your earthly masters, godly actions. Two, with fear and trembling, godly attitudes, with reverence for God who has put into place your employer so that you are anxious to fulfill your duties that are required of you with a sincere heart as you would Christ. With a sincere heart as you would Christ. In other words, he says your actions should be on point, your attitude should be on point. Now watch this, number three, your motives should be on point. Now I love this, and I'm going to get excited. I'm going to geek out for a minute, okay? You're just going to have to bear with me. The word sincere there comes from the Latin word sinceri. Sinceri means without wax. Now what had happened is in the New Testament, people were uh, potters. And so they would make pottery and they would take them to the local, uh, essentially town, and they would sell their pottery. And as they sold their pottery, people would pick up the, the, the vases. And they would hold them up to the light. And when they held them up to the light, they could see through the light if the pottery was sinceri. If the pottery was without cracks, or in other words, the person who was selling the pottery was sincere. They hadn't put 
wax over the crack, and then painted over it. They could tell the pottery, sincerely, it was sincerely. So they would pick it up and they'd say, this, sincerely, yes? No? No, two dollars, right? They would barter with them because they realized that there was cracks in the pot. So when Paul says here, with a sincere heart, he means that you and I in our work are to be sincere, that which is, watch this, not hypocritical or superficial, but genuine. What does he mean? He means that people can see through the garbage that you represent. If you go into your job tomorrow and you say, Pastor Jordan said, I'm supposed to respect my boss, and I'm supposed to do things with excellence, blah, 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 blah. We know if you're sincere or not in here. He says, not superficially, he says, you do these things, not hypocritically, but with a sincere heart. In other words, one who is reliable, productive, and cooperative. Now, how do I become sincere? Well, I go to the passage in James. When James says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get upset. Let me give you a simple outline to follow at work tomorrow. When he says, are you quick to listen, he would line up with what Paul says in regards to being sincere. In other words, how many questions do you ask or how many opinions do you give? With the people who are entrusted to your care, the mission field that is over you, how many times do you ask people questions? How many times do you sit in the break room and give your opinions on how things are and how they should be? When we are in the population, we ask questions very openly. Why do you think that way? How did you get that opinion? What does that mean? Why do you think he's like that? Ask 10 questions for every statement you give. Paul says, be quick to listen. Be an active, or James says, be quick to listen. Be an active listener. Number two, be slow to speak. Be slow to speak your opinion and give scripture. How many times do you insert your opinion or are you just saying what scripture says? So I'm sitting next to somebody and they're like, I can't believe Jane did that. I can't believe it. Oh my goodness, Jane. Jane is the worst. And instead of fueling the fire, I know she's the worst. Right? You say, well, why do you, why do you think she's so bad? Because she's the worst. Okay, why is she the worst? No, do you, you don't think that she's the worst? I, I don't have an opinion yet. Like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on in your life. You tell me. I want to be sincere. I want to be without wax. I want to not formulate my opinion off what you say. I want to formulate opinion on what the Bible says. The Bible says do not speak negatively against one another. I should probably work on that. Be quick to listen. I want to be an active listener, slow to speak. I want to speak God's word. I don't want to speak what I think. And slow to get upset. Now watch this. The parallel to being sincere and not getting upset means that you expect nothing in return earthly for what your duties are. That I expect nothing in return. That when I come up and preach God's word to you, I expect nothing except God to be glorified with my effort. Give us a good meal this morning. 
that when you go to work, you do not do the things that you are required to do because you expect something in return. I, I deserve a raise. Does nobody see all the things that I do? I deserve the company car. Oh, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? That I deserve just uh, 10 more minutes of my break. I deserve it. I demand it. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I deserve nothing, God says, except he says very clearly, do whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all things for what? The glory of God. That God would be glorified with my efforts. When you come home from work, your attitude in the car should be like, God, are you glorified with what I did today? Are you glorified with my effort today? Are you glorified with the respect that I gave my boss and my fellow employees? Are you glorified that I did my absolute best? Are you glorified that my actions were on point and sincere? Are you glorified that my motive was to please you and you alone? Now watch the summary here in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 6 through 8. He summarizes all of these things. He just goes back through it. Not by the way of eye service. That's actions. As people pleasers, that's attitude. But as servants of Christ doing the will of God, where? From the heart, that's motive. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, motive. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back, where? From the Lord. Wherever he is, a slave or if he's free. In other words, if he gets a check or he doesn't. A missionary couple <clears throat> was coming home. And they took a boat. They had spent 40 years serving the Lord. 40 years. Wow. They had given up multiple friends and left family and went over to an unreached people group. 40 years they spent. It's time for them to go home. And they're coming back on a boat, uh, and the husband is with his wife, and he sees people who are starting to appear on the dock. There's many people who are gathering. And he sees signs that says, welcome home. He's getting excited. He's like, hon, look at the crowd that came to, to welcome us home. He's so excited. And as they get closer and closer to the pier, he gets, he gets more and more upset. Because he realizes it says underneath welcome home, says President Roosevelt. So he looks over to a guy and he says, Teddy Roosevelt? Yeah. He says, why are people excited to see Teddy Roosevelt? He says, oh, you didn't know? He's been on a hunting trip for the past three weeks. And everybody's excited. Teddy's coming home. And they get off the boat and they go down the Runway, nobody greets him. Everybody's excited to see Teddy. Oh, Teddy Roosevelt, oh my goodness. He goes home. He lays in bed. And his wife's laying next to him, and she's already asleep, and he pleads to the Lord. He says, God, I don't understand. For 40 years, I labored for you. For 40 years, I gave my life to you. I, I gave you uh, friends and, and family. We left them to do your will, to do your work. Why does Teddy Roosevelt get such a glorious homecoming and I don't? And the Lord whispers in his ear, because you are not home yet. 
Brothers and sisters, we're not home yet. God has not come back and called us home, nor have we died on this earth. God says, you have a mission field in front of you. It is your place of employment. And you are commanded to have godly attitudes, godly actions, and a godly motive while you are there. So that people who are far from God can come to know him. And that you can share the gospel to them. So that those who know Jesus Christ will be encouraged and realize that they too are called to work with respect and excellence. Because whatever we do and all things we do for the glory of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word. It's spoken to us and it goes into our hearts and we are called to now do something with it. And so, God, uh, as we gather here this morning and hear your truth, some of us feel maybe deflated from hearing the message, but let us be encouraged that all things are possible with you. When we have a relationship with you, we have the opportunity, not the obligation, to see things as places where we can populate to accomplish your will and your word. And so for those of us who are gathered here who don't know you as Lord and Savior, my prayer for them is they would come to know you. They would confess that they're a sinner today sitting here in this place and say, God, I need a Savior. And this would be the best Christmas of their life where they entered into a relationship with you. And for those of us who know you, we ask very specifically that you change our actions if need be that we realign with your word and your will. So tomorrow we go into the workplace, or maybe it's even today for some of us, and we would respect our employer because we realize that they have been given that position of authority because of you. And that we would respect them because we do respect you, the living God who gave us your son. And that we would work with excellence. That you would give us energy if we're tired. That you would give us ability if we're exhausted. That you would give us the ways to do our responsibilities that are required of us well. And we ask God that you would change our attitudes. That you would help us to see the workplace as a place that we can evangelize. A place that we can edify. A place that we can serve you. Change our attitude right now that we would see our job as a mission field. Something that's entrusted to our care. That we have to do diligence with. God, give us the ability to seek your face and your word, spend time with you in prayer, and sing your praises when we're in the valley. And then, God, we ask that you would align our motives to your motives, that we would see the importance of being without wax, that our hearts would be in the right place, that we would not be hypocritical or superficial, we would be men and women who understand the importance of godly work because we're not home yet. And God, we do look forward to you calling us home again soon. But while we're here on this earth, we ask very specifically that you would be the one who helps us to realize the importance of what's been entrusted to our care. God, we lay all this before you. We believe all things are possible with you. Thank you for your coming and coming again. And we ask you to help us to be diligent while we anticipate your return. 
leaning in dependency upon you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.